Well, guys, good morning. We're glad you're here uh, with us. Before we get started, uh, I've got a couple announcements I want to share with you. Uh, first of all, as we enter into fall, it's uh, exciting season for us because we kind of kick things uh, back into gear, uh, kind of how we normally, I guess, operate, and uh, a lot of people are coming back from the summer and stuff, and so what's coming up are life groups, a new season in the fall of life groups, and uh, so we want you to be aware of those. If you've never had a chance to check those out, that's a great way to really get connected to other people here in the church, uh, in Lifestone Church. And that's where our goal is to help you grow spiritually. Uh, and we believe that you've got to connect with God's word and God's people to do that. And so uh, we encourage you to check those out. But the other thing and the new thing that we're starting is life classes. And those are just going to be on Monday nights. And uh, when we, as we kind of introduce these, we've done some similar things. But we're officially on Monday night going to have this, this kind of carved out time to just have life classes uh, and this semester, we will, or this quarter, we'll have a, a class for new believers uh, called What on Earth Am I Here For? Uh, many of you may have gone through that series, and, and what I usually hear, the response that I hear from a lot of people is that is one of the most important things I've ever done in my Christian walk, is walk through that, that series. And then we're going to have a series for women and a series for men. So I want you to check out a couple videos real quick to show you what those classes will look like. All right, so you got kind of a glimpse of the two classes that we'll, we'll offer, one for men and women, and then the New Believers class that we'll have. So please, um, the way to kind of get connected to those is uh, in the lobby, we've got this new What's Next area, and there's some more information about those, okay? Sound good? Are you guys excited? I can't tell. Okay, let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for, for today, a beautiful day uh, that you made, and uh, God, we come here to worship you and to hear from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, guys, we are entering into kind of a new phase of Romans. I know you can't get sick of Romans, okay? Romans, it's such an incredible, rich uh, book that has had such an influence. God has used it in such a powerful way throughout Christian history. And so uh, we find ourselves in the second chapter of, I know we're in chapter, you're like, wait a minute, are we going back? We're Surely we're going to get through this book. Yes, we are. But we're in the second chapter of the so what phase of the chapter or section of the book, I should say. Um, we're, or, or some of your translations will say, um, will say uh, therefore. And, and the therefore or and so or, or what's next is how we respond to God's incredible grace and mercy and love. Everything that he has done for us to give us all these incredible gifts of righteousness and salvation and, and, and the mercy he showered uh, into our lives, adopting us into his family through faith in Christ, all these things, he wants to leave us here in this world for a very specific mission. But in that process, he's changing us and transforming us. And specifically in Romans 12, it begins by saying it starts with changing the way we think, changing the way we view things, and changing our perspective on things. And so we went through all Romans 12, and it was very heavily focused on relationships with others. And we learned that you cannot love God. The Bible is very clear about this. You cannot love God and not love people. That's not an option, although I think many people would kind of want to take that option. Um, 
And then in chapter 13, it gets really real. And some people in my life group, as we were talking about this in the summer, because this issue came up of politics. And I'm like, don't ever talk about politics in life groups. But it kind of somehow rears its ugly head uh, anyways. And um, as we were talking about it, as we're kind of beginning, the very beginnings of another kind of election, big election cycle. And so, you know, there's more news about more things uh, going on. And we were talking about what our response is supposed to be as believers, that it's different than the rest of the world, that we think differently and we act differently than what we would naturally uh, come up with on our own. And, and, and I, was, I told them, I was like, well, I've been studying Romans, you know, and looking about, you know, how I'm going to preach this and this. And the reason I've just, like, been so slow in Romans chapter 12 is because I don't want to preach Romans chapter 13. <laughs> because the beginning of it is very challenging. There may be people here this morning where this kind of makes you mad. You're like, no, it just can't really. God's asking us to do that. And so kind of buckle up and, and get ready for Romans chapter 13 because this gets real and practical of how we live in, in our setting and what God desires of us. Um, and so what we're going to do is look, just start out Romans chapter 13. Uh, and it begins by saying everyone. And once again, we run into this, this word that doesn't let us wiggle out of it. Um, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all, another very, um, uh, another word that's, that you can't really wiggle out of, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. For you like to, or would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right. And they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Does this apply every situation? Surely Paul must have been in this magical, wonderful set of circumstances where the governing authorities just loved them some Jesus and they were so just and they were so virtuous and such a beautiful example of, of just a perfect setting of authority. That's mu that must have been Paul's setting, right? No, absolutely not. He was under Roman, if you know any, you know, just a little bit hist of history about the Roman Empire, that is not how you would describe what Paul is under. Not shortly after this, um, or I'm sorry, shortly after this, I didn't say that correctly, he would be beheaded by who? This government that he's standing up for and saying that God wants us as believers to follow it. Who killed Jesus? Throughout history, uh, a lot of people have you know, said, oh, the, the Jewish people have killed history. The actual murder of Jesus, the taking of his life, was done by Roman officials. This is the government. This is the very unjust, horrible government that Paul is telling us as believers um, 
that, that we should have this kind of attitude towards. But I'm leaving out verse 5, which you see is still up there, I think, because it tells us why. And I think sometimes if we don't understand, maybe you grew up in church and you, you grew up with this understanding and people would throw out these verses, because this isn't like one isolated verse. We're going to look at other verses where we see this theme again and again, but I think often we have not focused on the why. Why would God instruct us to follow and obey, uh, you know, natural thinking, very, very, even sometimes bad leaders and authorities? But in verse 5, it says, So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, so there's a real practical sense, but also to keep a clear conscience. And so there's two reasons right there that we stand before God, and God has clearly given us this instruction to have this attitude and this posture to authorities and leaders as believers. And so we can't, there's no way we're going, well, my situation was different. Verse 6 goes on to say, pay your taxes too for these same reasons. You ever just want to take verses out of the Bible? Like some people do that, you know, they just focus on the verses they like. The whole point of the Bible is to guide us to do stuff that we wouldn't naturally do on our own. That's why we have it. Um, not to, to back up what we already understand, what we, what the conclusions we've already come to. So let it challenge you and, and wrestle with these things. Pay your taxes, too, for these, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. Really? They are serving God in what they do. Does the Bible really say this? Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will, will, will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And it ends with the whole point of it. It is basically saying, if we're really bad citizens, we'll have really bad reputations, and we won't be able to influence other people, and people will think less of us, and we won't have that kind of influence, and we won't be able to really love people how God has called us to love people. Um, this is a pretty straightforward passage. And, and you could try, and I've seen some really interesting, as I study scripture and study biblical theologians and scholars trying to look, well, what's, you know, is there any meaning that we're missing as we translate it from the original Greek into the English and stuff? But this passage is pretty straightforward and pretty easy for us to understand. Crazy hard, I think, at times to actually apply and live out. And so number one, uh, you've got some blanks there, but I've got, I've got uh, some things I want you to fill out, okay? So number one, be a good citizen to gain respect. Be a good, good get citizen to gain respect. And I know some of you already are going, wait a minute, Ben, there are exceptions, and, and in our Western culture, in our modern times, often we think of like, wait a minute, what if you were in Nazi Germany in the 40s? What do you do then? Do you hide our Jewish brothers and sisters? Are you going against the authority that God's put in place? And the answer is yes, of course you hide 
the Jewish people. <laughs> we even have an example of that, of Rahab. And the, big, the, the example that we get is what we're doing is following God's instructions here, but God has given us other instructions that absolutely supersede anything that, that, that God's uh, people in authority are telling us to do. So if it is in contradiction, we always follow God. Uh, to not follow God would be to sin. And so we avoid sin and we follow God. Um, but here's a key, and this is what we don't always see, I think, is we do it in a very humble as loving as we can, and as respectful way that we can absolutely do that. So if we're going to say, hey, we're not going to follow the authorities because they are in direct violation to God's law, which is more, you know, greater, of course, than man's law, we do it not in some hateful, mean-spirited, trying to, you know, just stir up, uh, um, you know, kind of hate and anarchy, but the Bible gives us so many examples of doing this, but doing it in a respectful way. In Acts 4, 18 through 20 is one of the most classic examples. This is after the resurrection, and this is after the Holy Spirit comes and empowers believers to proclaim this good news. And in um, verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 18, it says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And these are the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, are, are calling these, these group, uh, Jesus' followers, after his resurrection, to never speak uh, or teach the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And so Jesus directly commands them as they walked with them. Uh, as he walked with him before he ascended into heaven, to proclaim this good news. And so in a respectful response to them being told not to, they say, I'm sorry. And you, you notice they, they understand their audience. They're speaking to people who are acknowledging the same God. And so they say, well, you know this. You know that, that we, we follow God when he gives us clear instructions, not men. The, the, a really good example, I, I think, uh, it, it amazes me how Daniel treats this situation. Uh, in Daniel 3.16, and, and some of you ladies, as we talk about a ladies' study about to happen in the fall, uh, went through the book of Daniel. And just this incredible way that Daniel lived in a way that honored God, I think is absolutely amazing. But in, in chapter 3, we get this story if you grew up in, in Sunday school or heard Bible stories growing up, there's these three cool guys, and they had three cool names, and I'm surprised not more kids are named these. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go, or no, and Abednego. They replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this horrible, awful, just atrocious king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if you don't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So, of course, it points to what they're defying. They're saying, no, there's only one God to be worshipped. He's commanded us clearly to, to, clearly to worship him and him alone. 
And the authorities over me are now demanding that I, you know, or this group, um, uh, worship a false god, and they just reject it. And they do it in a polite way. They even use terminology saying, Your Majesty, but we're not going to do it. But you notice another key thing is that they were willing to accept the consequences, knowing that God was going to take care of them one way or the other, bring them home or, or, or protect them through it. But they were willing. They weren't fighting again to say, oh, and, and we're not going to accept any consequences. They, God's in control. They had a bigger picture that God knew what was happening, and they were clear on what God wanted them to do. In Daniel 6, 10 through 11, we jump to the story of, of, uh, of Daniel uh, in the lion's den, another just classic uh, uh, story that we, we often hear if you've grown up in church or heard many Old Testament Bible stories. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upper room. With his windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went to, together to Daniel's house, found him praying, and asking for God's help. So Daniel had, had uh, gained incredible respect from King Nebuchadnezzar, from the authorities that he was under, even though they were godless and did not, you know, uh, have the same perspective, of course, that Daniel had. And so the jealousy of other people led them to recognize Daniel's life and his patterns. And so they passed a law trying to get rid of him and the favor that he was being shown by the king and said, hey, I know in our culture, and they're in Babylon, uh, Babylon, uh, the, the Jewish people had been uh, exiled because they weren't following God, and they eventually were, were exiled into this horrible, horrible culture. Uh, we think Nazi Germany in our, in our more modern context is like the worst thing that humanity's ever developed. This was kind of their modern-day version of that. And so this king could be, you'd look at him as maybe Hitler. And the Jewish people are swept into this horrible, horrible environment, and they're in the midst of it trying to, some of them, trying to live for God. And so uh, he did a couple interesting things here. He refused to break a pattern that he had. Why is he praying towards Jerusalem? Because he's praying that God would bring them back into the promised land and back to Jerusalem. Here's something that's interesting. Nowhere in Scripture has God given and explicit, clear instructions to pray three times a day or to face Jerusalem while you're praying. But that was just the pattern that he, you know, in his own personal conviction did. Uh, saying that, he was not violating God by, by praying in a more private way. Not, you know, doing it in this, this display, but I think just the personal conviction and being led of God that, that he just wanted to continue to do this but he also recognized and did not reject the consequences that were going to come with that. And so that's why that's the situation that he found himself in. Um, but the key is that in the midst of that, they were respectful. They weren't, do you notice, they weren't like saying, all right, here's the deal. Now there's, there's this law against people who worship and love God. Where's the local hitmen? Like, how are we going to take out? These guys make it. And, and you could see how easy that would be to justify, right? I'm doing God's righteous acts. And so I'm going to 
take control of this situation. I mean, it's kind of like the Crusades. It's like, I'm going to do something that God's never instructed us to do or operate in this way. But he doesn't do that. He respectfully follows the leadership. And if he has to follow God's law, uh, because it's above, of course, whatever law they put in place, they take the consequence and know that God can use it for his glory. It's incredible. Um, You get these two extremes, though, when we talk about this. Because I don't know about you. In my mind, I start going, oh, yeah, but what about in this situation and that situation? And you get these extremes of rule followers who, it, who are bent towards that way and rule breakers like me. Um, all right, so just you guys, you guys can admit this, right? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you're willing to say, you know what, I am a rule follower, raise your hand. I'm like, the first hand I see up is my wife. <laughs> now, if you always see the gray area, And you're like, there's always exceptions. And you're more the rule bender. Raise your hand. (laughs) Some people are raising hands for other people. You can't do that. So raise your hand. All right. So when we look at this, we see sometimes we can fall into these two camps. If you're wired, and I think it kind of has to do with how God has, has wired you and created you. And sometimes you can go to the extreme of like, I know these verses, I know the other verses that Ben's going to mention, and it talks about following all your authorities and doing exactly what they say. And, and sometimes you can be so extreme, you think Jesus loves you more because you follow all the rules correctly. And you're going to go to heaven and be in front of Jesus and be like, I followed all the rules, don't you love me the best? He's going to say, no, I, I love everyone unconditionally. What? I don't get a special, super awesome rule-following place? Like... I'm being silly, but, but there's a pride that can well up, and I follow all the rules exactly correctly, and I look down at anyone else. I'm so special. I'm so wonderful. I'm so great. And then there's the other side, right, where you always can justify. You can always come up with an excuse of why in your special circumstance, in your special situation, you're above the rules, <laughs> and you can just do whatever you want. And, and Kristen's, like, looking at me going, you're, you're, you're preaching to yourself, right, honey? <laughs> yes, I am. So there's these two extremes. And in the extremes that we can kind of guide ourselves into in thinking of applying these concepts, because uh, you could see, I don't know if you've ever, when we moved to Utah, my wife and I are like, and no offense to anyone who's in, in one of these, but we decided we are not going to be in an HOA. Because, I mean, you know, sometimes you get the super rule follower and they're like walking around the neighborhood with their ruler on your grass. And they're like, <laughs> and we were in a HOA. We had to have every single plant approved that we, that we planted in our flower bed. Every type of flower, every, you know, quantity, everything. Um, and we were like, and no one did that, by the way. It's funny, my mother-in-law was in that too. And I don't think anyone actually did it. <laughs> But, it, but there could be people who come along and say, oh, look at all these rules. You know, the, the person going 55 on the freeway and everyone else is honking and buzzing by them. They're like, it's 55. Forget that. Because the point, and see, some of you rule followers are like going, no, that's right. <laughs> and it's kind of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law conversation I'm about to have. Okay? The point is, 
that we are good citizens and that we are gaining respect of other people. Uh, people who, you know, do business shady and under the table and, and, you know, avoid things that clearly they should be doing and stuff like that. When you try to influence other people with significant things like spiritual matters and they know you don't run your business in a above-the-board way, you know, they're going to not, you're not going to have the kind of influence that God wants you to have. Um, and so it could go either way. If you're this super nitpicky rule follower and, and everyone understands, well, yeah, there's that rule, but it's, you know, it's kind of the spirit of it's this. And so, you know, um, but, but you're like irritating everybody around you because you're, you're so hyper-focused on the rules. People aren't going to want to be around you <laughs> and hang out with you and like kind of, you know, be connected with you in that way. So the whole point of it is what kind of, how do other people view me because I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm representing him and I'm here ultimately, number two, to our goal is to spread the best news ever, to spread the good news, to spread the gospel. I had an interesting conversation this week. I was at Costco. Um, I saw some family friends at Costco and then I went to sit down to eat my $2 meal and Carrie, I don't know if you noticed this, um, there were no tables. And so I sat down uh, with a nice uh, older couple who said, hey, let's just sit down together. And we sat there for like two and a half hours talking about spiritual things eventually. Um, and, and I have learned to be very loving and respectful. And, and one of the things that came up is the gospel. And in and, and, and them, in a very kind way, was trying to find unity that, hey, we, you know, you've got your difference. You're a pastor. That always shocks people around here. You're a pastor. They kind of look at me and go, huh. And then um, um, after that, uh, you know, it, it kind of led more into a spiritual conversation. But, but just this, this uh, kind sense of like, well, uh, they, they came from a different tradition. You might guess being in Utah where they came from. And and, and their perspective was, you know, but we share the gospel together. And it was very, very interesting and eye-opening, I think, when, when I asked them to please define the gospel for me. Because that's just a religious stained glass word that we can throw out, right? Well, what does that mean? And, and they went on to share a very eloquent, kind, passionate version of what they said was the gospel and it had to do with us being really kind, wonderful people, how our moral integrity needed to be uh, really high, how we needed to help people who were down and out, how we needed to change our attitude and be more kind and all this stuff. And, and what I shared with them is, is that's beautiful and that's awesome. And I think God's called us to do those things. That's not the gospel. And they were like, what? And we were at a point where I think I, I could... They weren't offended by that. They could see that I, I was trying to have a meaning, meaningful exchange. And basically, I broke it down for them because I just try to simplify. I said, the gospel is what God has done for us. That's it. It's this incredible best news ever, what God has accomplished on our behalf. And the Bible says we're completely unable to do any of what he accomplished through the gospel on our own. That's the gospel. It's what God's done. 
Their version of the gospel is what we do. Exact opposite, yet it was, it seemed nice, and it seemed okay, and it seemed religious, and it seemed something that Jesus would have a big smile on his face about. But the opposite is true. And so, and I'm sorry, little sidebar about the gospel. Uh, What the gospel is, is what God has accomplished for us. If you've missed all this, the first 11 chapters of Romans, that God did what we were unable to do, that he came and paid for my, my sin. He paid the payment I owed on the cross so that I could have a right relationship. This just God could not ignore my sin and my rebellion. But he loved me so much that he paid for it and said, here's a free gift. And if you accept it and enter into this relationship with me, you are adopted into my family. You are given the righteousness uh, of of Jesus. And so that's what we're here to share. And and here's the thing, and I run into this on, on a regular basis. Our primary goal in this world is not to get closer to God. And I say that with with fear of what you guys might think about that. Are we going to be closer to God here or in heaven? No question, right? Heaven. Now get closer to God while you're here. But if God's ultimate purpose and goal for us was to be closer to him, we would give our lives to Christ, accept this free gift, and boom, be in heaven immediately. But he's left us here to be salt and light. He's left us here to love other people the way he loved people enough to leave heaven and to come and sacrifice. And that is the primary reason that we're here. So many people miss that. There was a whole movement in the early church called Gnosticism that that was their goal. It was, was just, to, it was just them and God. And they missed the whole point of it. And it was a, it was a teaching that had to be pushed out because it wasn't biblical. Um, anyways, so quickly, I'm out of time. Um, Paul was, was under horrible leadership. Uh, Peter also was under even worse leadership. He was under a guy named Nero, um, and Nero was awful. First Peter two eleven through 16. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors that then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. God cares about our reputation um, because we represent him. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. So this isn't just Paul. Uh, This is Peter. Um, Submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has set them to punish those who do wrong, to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And that's the danger that we can get into. But, hey, we, we can just, because God, and, and, and we can come up with these excuses and not care about how it reflects how we represent Jesus. That's not loving other people. That's just saying, well, I'm fine and I'm set and they can just, you know, figure it out themselves. No, P- 
Peter's really strong about this as well. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Do you see the reason why we live in such a manner? Why we honor the horrible boss, the horrible principal, the horrible teacher, the horrible neighbors, the, the bad politicians? Um, you, you know, you're like, Pastor Ben, where do you live? Um, just in life, when we run up against that and we think somehow we have some justification or, or somehow we twist scripture to say we can respond in an ugly, rebellious way. No. We can't. If we obey God, we can't. It's not an option that we have. Joseph, we won't, I won't even read scripture because we're running out, out of time, but read the end of Genesis. Joseph finds himself in an evil uh, court of Pharaoh who has no, uh, no acknowledgement of the one true God, no moral compass that, that would honor God in any way. But Joseph lives in such a way that he gains incredible respect from all the people that he's around. When he's thrown in jail uh, for something he didn't even do, he gains the respect of even the jailer. Um, and, and that's what we're to do. Um, verse, uh, number three, obey God first and don't sin. We made that point, right? So that's when we're going, wait, there's exceptions. Yes, there are exceptions. You obey God first and you don't sin. Uh, number four, but you're willing to take the consequences. Be willing to take the consequences. Daniel 2, 20 through 21. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and acknowledges the scholars. Are we at peace knowing that God is in control? Or are we worried to death and fretting about the next election? Or the next whatever, political thing or or the next person that might be put in charge at work. Or, isn't that interesting that we're called to have a peace knowing that they could be a bad leader? Look at what's happened throughout history. There's been lots of bad leaders. Number five, remember God sees the bigger picture. God sees the bigger picture. There's points in history when it's like, oh my goodness, in China, they're rounding up all the pastors. They're persecuting all the churches. Christianity is going to be wiped out in communist China. Oh my God, are you taking a nap? What are you doing? And that's maybe 20, 30 years ago we say that. And today we go, the, the movement of Christianity is nowhere stronger than in China. And, and we don't know why God does the things he does. In, in the early church, all under these horrible leaders, and then there were moments when, when Christians unjustly were accused of, of causing all sorts of things, from the burning of Rome to, to, to being cannibals as they, uh, on a regular basis, would practice the Lord's Supper, all, all sorts of crazy things. But they lived quiet, peaceful lives, and they loved people like the world had never seen because Jesus said, love your enemies. 
And it was weird and it was shocking. And they changed the entire Roman Empire and culture. That's what we're called to live and do. And I guess, uh, quite honestly, I just don't see it as much. Instead, we make excuses. Uh, Number six, we're called to honor the position, not the person. And I know, don't get so hung up. Maybe that's where we're really hard to actually apply and obey God's word. Is we get so hung up on that person who lives in such a way or says things or makes decisions and we just think, oh, that breaks the heart of God or that's, that's wrong or whatever. But, but God has called us to honor that position. Jumping back to Daniel, such a powerful story. In Daniel 6, 16 through 23, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve, so faithfully rescue you. Why does the king say that? I think we miss this in our Sunday school. Anybody ever have the, the flannel graph? And you got the Daniel, and you got the cave, and you're like, and he's... And you got the king, and he's real bad. The king loves Daniel. Did you see that? Did you ever hear that part of the story in Sunday school? He loves Daniel. He has this incredible respect for him. He passed a law because of these people who were so jealous of him and envious of him that that you could only worship him. and, And if there were people refusing to do that, they should be thrown in the lion's den. And there was a, another law that was actually above him, and it was this king's law that, that, that kings could not go against these decrees that they made, these laws that they made. And so that's why he said, okay, I've, I've got to arrest you. I've got to put you in the lion's den, but I hope you're God. And isn't that interesting that he knew that his whole life was devoted to God? He said, I hope your God rescues you. goes on to say, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, of course, pointing to um, Jesus. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his place and spent the night fasting. He refused usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Can you imagine? I hate reading Daniel. I get all emotional. Can you imagine that the people who don't even know Jesus yet, don't know God yet, that that's how they feel about us because they see something so different in our lives. That, that he, the king refused, he's like, I'm not going to live how I normally live. My heart's broken over this guy that I have such compassion for. And this is a guy who's evil and horrible. So very early the next morning, the king got up hurried out to the lion's den. The king, in this disrespectful way, really, for him, gets up as early as he can to follow this decree that he made, runs to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was, was your God whom you serve so faithful and able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found in, innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he trusted his God. Do you see what Daniel said? You horrible, evil king, who do, you don't know Jesus, and I'm going to start a petition and a Facebook ad against you. That's what I see a lot of Christians do in their response in this 
horrible, prideful, righteous. I don't know what it is. No, he says, you're the king. I hope you live forever. When he interpreted his dream and and told the king what was going to happen to him, that he would be like an animal and go into the wilderness and he would lose everything that he's built. Before he told him, he didn't want to tell him. And he had this dream, and God gave Daniel the, the, the uh, gift of interpreting the dream. And he said, I don't want to tell you, king. Why? Because he had compassion for this guy who hated God. Because God loved him, and he wanted him to know this one true God. And he said, I wish, I wish, you're, I, I wish this wasn't for you. I wish it was for anyone else, this dream. And he told him what was going to happen. And the Bible tells us the end of the story is that he did go out, this king, instead of, here's what I think our natural response would be like, oh, yeah, I've got this horrible thing that God's going to do to you. Uh, and, and, man, I can't wait to tell you because you didn't love God. You didn't follow God. And I did. I'm so wonderful. And so here's what's going to happen to you. Do you see how different his heart is and his attitude towards someone who despises and, and, and is not acknowledging God? And so that's his response, and that's the influence. So ultimately, what happens is uh, the king goes off, becomes like a wild animal, goes crazy. And then we get at the end of his story, one of the most beautiful chat well it's not a whole chapter but beautiful passages of praising the one true god from this very king this and what daniel did turned his heart and turned his heart ultimately to the one true god um so we don't ever think about that i think in our sunday school story there's daniel in the lion's den here's this horrible evil king we're going to be worshiping with this horrible evil king in heaven um that's what god wants to do I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. There's one last song that we want to sing. Um, but as we wrap up, why do we do this and live such a different radical way than what we would naturally want to express and, and live out? Because ultimately, and I hope we can see this, we're serving not the, the bad leader, the bad politician, the bad boss, whatever that's been put in place. Ultimately, by doing what God calls us to do and commands us to do as believers, we're worshiping and following and obeying the King of Kings. That's what he's called us to do.